What's the most inspiring attribute of a leader that you think? The most inspiring attribute of a leader. You can speak loudly, use your voice, tell the person next to you. Okay, let's do some shouting out. Why not? We can. Some people like shouting out. Joe started it. Joe shouted out humility. Shout out a few other words. Integrity. I like it. Patience. Servanthood. Wow. Willing to listen. What was that? Anyone else? Okay. I think, was there someone who shouted? Go, go, go. Kindness. Awesome. Confidence. Perseverance. Awesome. <laughs> I'm choosing not to repeat a few that are getting shouted at me here. It's taking a lot of skill. So I'm going to get uh, moving before you totally distract me with your joking and uh, silliness. We're in Ephesus today. I, I want to just remind you of the series we're in. We're in a series called Relate. We're asking the question, how do we as people, as predominantly followers of Christ, how do we relate to our culture? How do we relate to our world? How do we relate to each other? And we're learning these lessons from the church that started in Ephesus. And what's so fun about this, um, as a bit of a geeky person who enjoys the Bible, is that you don't just go you know, straight to the book of Ephesians to learn about Ephesus. There's actually three or four key sources that you can read in the Bible besides just the letter to the Ephesians. You hear about Ephesus, you go, well, this must be Ephesians. And the answer is yes. We're tracking largely through Ephesians 5, and we're having so much fun as we look at Ephesians 5. And last week, we opened up the DB box, and we touched some high-voltage topic, uh, topics when it comes to sexuality. And um, if you want to listen to that, it's still on our, our, our website. You can go check it out. And uh, we're going to carry on. We'll have a few more high-voltage talks coming up over the next while. But today we're tracking uh, still learning lessons, but we're talking about leadership. We're talking about leadership. And, and leadership is one of those things that uh, a lot of people wish they could just avoid. Um, in fact, many of these people who, first, you know, who stood up as deacons today and we prayed them in and we celebrated... Um, they were reticent. Nobody wants a title these days. And I was so amazed by this group of people, almost to the man, every person. I said, hey, you've done the training and you know the biblical qualifications and what does it mean to be a deacon? And they went, I'm just happy to keep serving. I don't need the title. No problem. Let's keep going. And uh, I was so grateful for that sense of servant-heartedness that's going we don't want the title. And, and to be honest, you're not going to hear deacons. This is not a title-driven church. We're not uh, looking at personalities and, and who does what and what are their names and what are their titles. There's no parking for any special people outside. There's no seats for any special people. We don't work like that. This is a group of people who are all mucking and bringing the best that they've got to try to do what God's called us to do. And uh, one of the cool things about this Lessons from Ephesus journey is that you've got this letter to the Ephesians that Paul writes, and we're going to look at this beautiful uh, one-liner that he speaks about. But then he also writes two letters, not just to the, to the church in, in Ephesus, but he writes to a young leader uh, named Timothy. 
And so if you've ever heard of the book of Timothy, this is Paul who's writing a couple of years later. So first, he plants the church. Go read Acts chapter 19 and 20. That's a cool source. That's where you actually see how this church started. Remember, we saw it in week one. The church started from a riot. <laughs> How's that for a, play, a way to start a church? It starts from this riot where basically Paul preaches the gospel. People start believing. They start going, I don't need these silver idols anymore to uh, Artemis. I actually want to serve God. Who needs idols? And so they stop buying idols. And so the businessmen who are making these silver idols start going, this is not cool. They kick up a fuss. They uh, create a riot. They go to the big uh, sort of stadium of the day. They fill it up, and they start going, great as Artemis. And they're basically trying to rouse a crowd to get rid of these Christians who've started this church. It didn't work, and this church slowly but surely grows and grows and grows. And uh, it's this community of people. Paul isn't called to stay there forever, so he, um, he leaves and he carries on doing what God's called him to do. After about two to three years of helping establish this church, he feels God say, come, let's go plant the next one. And so he goes to the next city and the next city, and everywhere he goes, he says the same thing about the fact that Jesus is heaven and earth's true king. He lived, he died, he rose again, he offers forgiveness of sins and life with the creator forevermore. Come and join on the adventure of bringing the world back to the way it's meant to be as you receive God's grace and you live in partnership with Him. Amazing. And, and so that's what happens in each place he goes. Tim, uh, Paul eventually arrives in Rome. He gets put in prison. Uh, we're not sure. We think he, he was in prison at least twice. And he writes these letters back. First, he writes Ephesians. Then he hears, actually, you know, Timothy's having a bit of a tough time. And he knew that Ephesus seemed to be this place that had a whole bunch of false teachers. So he writes two letters to encourage this guy named Timothy because he realized that leadership is just plain old tough. It's not easy leading a church. And so he writes 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Nice creative names in the Bible for these letters. It's his first letter to Timothy and his second letter to Timothy. And there's some interesting clues. It seems like Timothy was this youngish guy. He seems to not have been married. He had a granny and a mother who had amazing faith. And Timothy struggled with self-confidence. He wasn't a bold, loud leader. He probably struggled especially with some of those, you know, big business type guys who come into the church and they've got opinions and they're saying, no, this is how the gospel should be taught and this is how church should be. And Paul writes to him in 1 Timothy 4 and he says, hey, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech and faith and life and love. And so you've got this young guy who's getting these leadership uh, lessons that are being sent to him. And pretty similarly, in the life of Common Ground Church Bloberg, we've had to, one, uh, we've seen an amazing sense of growth. We came out just seven years ago. We planted into Tableview High School, and uh, we already had a few leaders around. But as we've grown, we've had to go, well, what do we do? How does leadership work? Is leadership necessary? And uh, one of the things you realize, whether you start a running club or whether you start a book club, or whether you start a gang, or whether you just have a few people uh, that are becoming friends, eventually people lead. Leadership is inevitable. It's just unstoppable. The question is, is what kind of leadership and what does it look like and what are the main attributes of this leadership? And so Paul writes and he goes, I realize leadership is inevitable. 
So let me try to help you, Timothy, to understand how to lead and what kinds of people should lead in the life of the church. And maybe you're going, you know what, I didn't come here to this relate thing to hear about leadership, but I, I hope that you understand that these talks and this topic is so crucial. It is so important to the way that we relate to each other, the way that we understand church, even to our trust levels when it comes to church. We live in a very cynical world, right? You hear the word leadership and you're probably already going, ha let's talk. Let's talk about the church. Let's talk about the last five years of the church. I'm not going to mention names, but you probably could name a list of, of very key, big leaders who've fallen from grace for one reason or another. The church is, is littered with, with just this devastating track record of, of leaders who've, who've not made it through. And churches who've either been blessed by incredible leadership or who have been absolutely brutalized by the pain of poor leadership. And so I want you to understand and, and encourage you, even by way of the DNA course, if you're pitching up and you're pitching up regularly and saying, I think this is my home, come to the DNA course. It's going to be such an important way for you to understand more about who we are and, and what we really are about, especially as leaders. So I want to look at two passages. We're going to first just anchor ourselves in Ephesians 5 verse 21. And this is probably the, the other little hot potato word we're going to pick up. But Ephesians 5 verse 21 says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I'm going to take Teach us two leadership lessons out of this, and then we're going to briefly look at 1 Timothy 3 and learn some practical lessons about how the church and leadership works in the church. So firstly, let's look at this one. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What an amazing, I mean, maybe it's triggering you already. Submit? I didn't come here to church to be taught how to submit. Leadership is important firstly to understand that all followers of Jesus are called to be leaders all the time. So that's, this is, this is where, where Paul is writing. He's, going, he's writing to every believer. In verse 1 of, of chapter 5, he says he writes to all the saints, to all the believers. He's writing to this whole church. And one of the first things he says is, submit to one another. Submit to one another. So who is he suggesting we should submit to? He's talking to the church, to the body of Christ, to the, to the group of believers who come to the community and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe in this thing. I believe in Jesus, and I'm part of this community. He says, you should submit to each other. Now, the word submit can be misunderstood. It's not kind of, you know, like my dog Max rolls over every time I get close to him, and he's just like a real ball of, of weakness. That's not what submission is. Submission in Paul's teaching is, is this willingness to defer joyfully. It's this willingness to say, you know what, this isn't primarily about me. I want to serve you. This is that sense of getting to the door as uh, often happens and you go, no, no, you go first. No, no, please, you go first. It's that sense of going, I'd like to listen before I speak. It's that sense of, of, of mutually wanting to see the other person uh, get served and, and be loved. He's not talking about, you know, I'm, I'm weak and you're strong and now I must just roll over. That's not the teaching here. What Paul is saying is he's saying, submit to one another. Give yourselves to each other joyfully so that you can cause each other's flourishing, so that you can help one another. 
But I want to just focus on that concept of submit to one another. Because it still is a little bit like, oh, are you sure this is really the teaching of the Bible? And I'm really trying to say through this that what Paul is suggesting is that all of us are told that we have a leadership expectation on our lives. Think about it. If Paul says to the whole church, submit to one another, what he's saying is that there are a bunch of people who are called to submit to you, right? Isn't that by, by sort of uh, evidenced by the fact that he's saying submit to one another? There's got to be some people that are submitting to each other. So if I connect with Mark, I'm, I'm expected to submit to him. That means that Mark is in some way expected to exert some influence over my life. There's expectation that as I submit my life and I go, hey, Mark, here I am. I'm keen for some friendship. Let's work this thing of life out together. As I submit, as I defer my life, as I walk with him, there is a sense that I am submitting. I'm, I'm, I'm letting him influence me. That's a, that's a vulnerable thing in our generation. And I, I would suggest that the definition of leadership is to have influence, to take initiative, and to carry responsibility. Influence, initiative, responsibility. Influence, initiative, responsibility. And it's kind of baked into Genesis 1, by the way. God doesn't look at Adam and Eve and go, hey guys, I'm going to make you elders. I'm going to make you deacons. I'm going to make you life group leaders. And now you guys really have a proper calling. He looks at them as human beings and he says, go forth and multiply. Have dominion. You need to take initiative. You need to have influence on the world. You need to take responsibility for your life and you need to cause flourishing. This is a sense that every person who follows Jesus, the moment you say, Christ, I'm yours and I trust you, you get this new mantle, this new commissioning over your life that says you are called to take initiative, to have influence, and to carry some responsibility because you know what? People are going to submit to you. There's going to be a mutual deference. People are going to look at you. People are going to live off of your life, are going to learn from you, and so it is really important. Now, a lot of us don't want this. A lot of us would rather live through one heroic leader. That's, that's kind of the tendency throughout history, whether it's our favorite soccer team where we go, no, they, they have to win, or whether it is having like a power CEO in our company that makes us feel good, or some allegiance to something that is big and successful, human nature has always wanted it. Go all the way back to the beginning of the, the sort of Jewish community. 1 Samuel chapter 8 is one amazing story where basically the people of Israel have got into the promised land. They now have uh, Samuel, who's a kind of leader. He's called a judge over them. And Samuel is leading them, but he's leading them as one who sort of is hearing from God and trying to bring God's guidance to them as a people. But they're different to all the other nations. You see, the other nations have got these things called Kings. They've got kings that, that lead them and, and that you know, make them pay taxes and create armies and do all kinds of things. And anyway, uh, in 1 Samuel 8, these guys come to Samuel. In fact, as one voice, the whole nation of Israel come to Samuel and they say, Samuel, we want to be like them. This isn't working. We, we're tired of not having a king. Give us a king like the Philistines. Give us a king like all the other nations. And uh, Samuel, like uh, all bad leaders, he takes it seriously personally. And he goes, I can't believe this God. And, and you know what God says to him? He responds, he says, Samuel, don't worry. 
It's, it's not you they, they're rejecting, it's me. They, they don't want to have me as the king. They want somebody, some person, some charismatic person who can kind of be their earthly representative, who can make them feel like they're successes, who can make them feel good even if they're not. You see, what they're doing is they're rejecting me as their individual king over their lives, and that's exactly what they need. They don't need a king, an earthly king. They need all to worship me. And what Paul is writing to the Ephesians is he's saying, be careful of this kind of personality cult type church model whereby there's this one charismatic personality who, who drives and who dominates and, and who, who kind of runs the show and has a social media kind of profile and is trying to write books and do all sorts, nothing wrong with all those things. But the danger is it becomes celebrityism. Paul goes, no, the church is not meant to be that. The church is meant to be a network of loving relationships of people who are built into a family, who mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. They love each other. They are all commissioned to be the kind of people who take initiative, who influence each other and carry the responsibility. It's important for you to maybe just look around. Stop looking at me. Look at the people around you. The Bible in Paul's teachings has called you to love these people. You're a leader over them. You're, you're called to have some sort of influence, some leadership over their lives, to submit to them and to expect them to carry, uh, to, for you to carry them in their hearts. That's the call of the Scriptures. You don't need permission to do what Jesus has already commissioned you to do, to love people and to want their flourishing. That's why we as a church have these three things, and, and, and that probably leads me to my second point. Because essentially, here's what happens. Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, if it just said submit to one another and it skipped out the reverence for Christ part, we'd be in a very scary place. This would be a horrible teaching and I would allow you to walk out right now. Because submitting to one another is not the point. Submitting to one another without reverence for Christ is a very dangerous place. That probably is the beginning of a cult. That probably is the beginning of the end of health. You see, you start any group, call it a gang, call it a running club, call it whatever else. Whatever, what ends up happening is this group begins to grow. And people begin to go, you know what? Uh, I don't like things the way they are. The, you know, you guys, this reading club, it's not working so well. I thought we were going to read through books nice and slow, and, and we were going to be able to talk it out, and it was going to be more about friendship. And you guys are racing through a book a week, and it's no fun. I want to go slow, and I want to talk about the books. The other person's going, yeah, but I've got reading goals, and I wanted to read 24 books in a year. And this reading club began to have this clash. You know, the honeymoon's over. We found each other. We enjoy sipping wine together, but now I'm annoyed because you're reading too fast and you're reading too slow and it's just not working. It just happens in life. It's just the way it goes. We, we need some guiding principles. And eventually that, that book club will either end because, you know, Jelly reads too fast. Nobody likes Jelly reading so fast. Or they're going to get some guiding principles and they're going to agree. They're going to go, let's talk about this. Let's see, what do we want out of this club? What are our objectives? Where do we want to go? Do we want to you know, build friendship along the way, or is this like pure literature? We just want to cover ground. The same is true of the, the, the church. What's the point? 
Why do we exist? Who guides us? What are the guiding principles around what this is all about? And that's why Paul comes in so strong and he says, submit to one another. How? Out of reverence for Christ. That's the only reason we're in a safe place. That's the only reason the church should be safe. As, as reverential towards Christ as the church is, that's how healthy the church will be. As reverential towards Jesus as the church is, that's how safe the church will be. Well, why do I not stress if Nikki tells me she's going out on a girl's night? Why do I, I not feel insecurity? I wonder what she's going to do. I wonder if she's going to be unfaithful. I wonder if she's going to do anything silly that could really mess with you know, our marriage. I, 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 I don't ever think that. If I knew she was going out to hang out with girls, she needs to do that more. You never do that. But if she did, I wouldn't feel insecure, I wouldn't worry, wouldn't concern going, oh my gosh, she's going out and she's, you know, what, she's hanging out with people and I'm not there and I can't helicopter, well, I wouldn't even cross my mind and I've heard lots of people who are very jealous and very concerned. Why? I'll tell you why. Because there's 15 years of me watching her reverencing Jesus. She reveres Christ. I'm not her guiding principle. I don't trust her because she, um, she listens to me and does what I want her to do. I trust her because she is under Jesus. And I watch her at 6 a.m. every morning. And she sits under his word. And she does what he says. And so I don't know what she's doing half of her life. But I trust it because she's got a king who I trust. She's got one who is filled with mercy and grace and truth. And so no matter what she's up to, I trust it because she's under him. How do we mutually submit to one another? How do we defer to each other in a way that generates life and joy and peace and trust so that this can really be an outpost of eternity, a show of the life to come, the age to come where Christ is king? How do we do that? We do that in one simple way. We revere Jesus. As a community, we do everything we can to help each other to see that there is no one more trustworthy than Jesus. We don't point to deacons and go, trust the deacons. We don't point to the elders and say, trust the elders. We, as every single leadership group that we get that is a part of this church, we say, don't primarily trust us, trust him. Put your whole life into his hands. He will do you good. He will help you in every way. If you trust him, we can trust you. There's nothing Jesus would make you do that would be bad to me. Nothing. Never, ever, ever. There is nothing Christ would call you to that would ultimately be bad for me. It would always do me good. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a wonderful thought? Isn't that what, what makes us feel safe? You, you as a, maybe looking in at the whole thing of Christianity, you're going, I don't know. Hey, you can complain about the church. You can have all your issues with the church, but let me tell you, it's hard to struggle with Jesus. And that's the person who we need to face up to. That's the person that we need to look at and ask questions of and revere and say, do I trust him? Lex reminded us, why not just go look through the book of John? Go read it. And say, hey, I might struggle with the church, but can I trust him? And we as a church, every person, to the woman, to the man, are called to do this. To submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. I give my life 
relationally more and more to each of you in this room, each of us as part of this community and the wider church, because I trust that you're doing the same to me, but most importantly, I trust you're giving yourself to Jesus. And if you're doing that, I can trust you. I can trust you. We can trust each other. And who knows what might happen with a bunch of people who are safe and led by Jesus. So the fact is, is you might ask, well, then, is there even a need for leadership? Well, well, you know, you're talking about Christ as the king. You know, if Jesus is the king, then why do we need these other things called elders and deacons? Well, the fact is that in between the age that is and the age to come, there is the overlap of the ages. The, the age to come, Jesus will be king, and I don't think there's elders or deacons there. We may be able to look back on this one and go, there were elders, you were elders. But in that stage, Jesus is the true elder. He's the true shepherd. He's the true king. He is the one who will guide all of us. But in the interim, he gives people essentially to guide the church towards Christ. Anytime it's detracting from the purpose of knowing and loving Jesus, it's an unsafe space. And so here's the, the kind of marks of biblical leadership, and I'll land with this. They're not long. Biblical leadership is taught to us and probably best in 1 and 2 Timothy, and he explains in, in 1 Timothy 3, there's these people called elders, there's people called deacons, but I think the first thing you'll see is that, uh, even looking at Ephesians 5.21, is that all leaders are called primarily to elevate Christ. You should be going to any leader in the life of the church, and be, they, they, there should be a sense that their life is really trying to go, look at Jesus, don't look at me. Their life is a bit like John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist? He's doing an amazing job, and uh, his disciples are starting to see that Jesus' ministry is growing and his ministry is shrinking. And, you know, every person would go, that sucks. That, you must be feeling quite insecure, John. How are you doing about that? And John responds with such maturity. He goes, no, it doesn't suck. I must decrease, and he must increase. The life of a real, healthy, biblical leader is not someone who's shooting for profile, who's trying to become famous. The real life of a healthy leader is a person who's going, I must decrease and he must increase. I must use my life and my gifts and my leadership only to help people to see how good Jesus is, not to see how good I am. Notice also then in uh, 1 Timothy, in verse 3, that leadership is also a privilege. Leadership is also a privilege, and I think this is something important because so often, if we could go to the 1 Timothy slide, he says, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. And uh, my experience leading a church for seven or eight years now is that you talk to people about leadership and they go, whoa, 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 hold up. You guys lead, and I will follow. I'll keep pitching up, and I might give some bucks, but please don't ask me to lead, for goodness sake. And it seems quite humble, except that Paul writes, and he says, that's okay. It's fine. You don't, you don't all have to lead. But you do need to understand that it is a privilege. It's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an a, a, a overseer desires a noble task. Here's the thing. If it's a healthy church like Paul is describing, this is not a promotion, it's a demotion. This is not an opportunity to be served more, it's an opportunity to serve more. And he says, that's a noble thing. He writes, uh, uh, John writes actually in I think John, uh, 3 John, and he talks about the church. And 3 John, he, he's so affectionate towards the church that he calls the church his chosen lady. 
How amazing. He describes the church as his chosen lady. It's like a, it's like a, a groom of a, of a wedding. He's waiting for his bride, and he sees his bride as this chosen, precious lady. And, and I think Paul is sharing a similar sentiment there where he's saying, if you want to lead you, and you want to look after this chosen lady, this beautiful bride, this precious, precious entity called God's people, you're choosing a noble thing. If you want to give much of your time and your energy and your sacrifice to helping people in the life of the church to flourish and to see Jesus, well done. It's a noble task. Keep it up. There's nothing wrong with that. Of course, there's so much in the scriptures that go, if you're trying to do it for your own glory or for your own fame, well, throw it in. That's just not the, that's not the point. So it's a privilege. It's also it's a team effort. We avoid... Uh, ever trying to build a community of leaders or, or, or that, that's just about one person. All the time you see in the scriptures, there's this plurality of leaders. In Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul gathers the Ephesian elders together. He gathers the leaders together. It's plural. should never be a, a, a single person who's leading things. We're always submitted, even in our eldership team. There's nothing I can pull off that, uh, that my team can't go, Rog, we think you're wrong. Let's not do that. We're submitted to each other. I get to lead the team, but I don't get to call the shots on everything. We're submitted to one another. The same is true in all our spheres. Even our life groups, by and large, are, are led in teams. Not always, but often our life groups are led with partnerships. It's a team effort. Fourthly, it's about character. It's about character. Leadership is primarily not about gifting and how impressive people are. Look at this most unexciting list of, of descriptors of this person who's, who's meant to be a leader in the church. Must be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Cool, so you have people in your home, able to teach, not given to drunkenness. Wow, the bar is high. Um, not violent, but gentle. She, really? I think any, you know, this is, this is pretty basic, like Christianity, um, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, manages his own family well and sees that his children obey him. Notice this is not about exceptional Christianity. This is about exemplary Christianity. This is about people who aren't you know, into the whole thing of attendance. They're into the thing of apprenticeship. We don't need attendees. We need people who are apprenticing Jesus, who are really becoming more and more like him, who, who don't just see church attendance as the goal. We see apprenticeship to Jesus as the goal. That's why Jesus said, come, follow me. And so leaders are to be the kinds of people who have their character submitted to Jesus, who know how to face their own insecurities and their blind spots. Man, we've all got them. Anyone who pretends, no, I'm never insecure. I don't have any blind spots. I never feel worried that someone is doing better than me. I never compare. I've, just, I've never compared to my life. You liar. <laughs> I've never felt insecure about someone who's better than me, stronger than me. The point of healthy leadership is that there's a sense of teaming. There's a sense of submitting. There's a sense of going, guys, I've, I'm going through this and I need some prayer. I want to submit myself to you. That's something we're trying to model all the time is not, the, not perfection, but living an example of wanting Christ, of wanting to submit ourselves to Jesus more and more and to have our lives formed into his image. That's really much more important. Paul doesn't write, has the gift of leadership. He needs them to be able to teach. 
It doesn't mean they can stand up and, and preach to hundreds or thousands of people. They just need to understand the gospel and be able to explain it. So we've got basically two things that Paul teaches. He goes in this first passage, and he talks about elders. Elders, we often use the word pastors or overseers um, and interchangeably. And often we just talk about our leadership team because all these titles mess with people's heads and uh, don't help anything. We just don't believe in huge titles. The point is, is that this group of elders are called to basically be shepherds over the life of the community. And, and they shepherd in that they, they care for this community. They care deeply. They, they, they beat off the wolves and they beat off the lions that try to come and cause any issues. Maybe it's false teaching or whatever it may be and, and try to uh, essentially look after three things. The direction of the church, the direction, where are we going? Hey, we're we going towards filling our city and our world and our hearts with the life of Jesus. That's our vision. That's where we're headed. How are we doing that? No, we're doing it through presence. We believe in, in being a people of the presence of being with Jesus. And formation, we, we want to become like Jesus. And, and then mission, we want to love the world like Jesus loves the world because there's so many people who don't know him and we give our lives to do that. To that. So, so that's what leaders do. They, they, they guard the direction of the church. They also guard the doctrine of the church. Paul's main concern when he writes to Timothy is he says there's wolves coming in and they're going to mess with the vision of Jesus. They're going to tweak him, and they're going to distort the gospel, and it's going to hurt the church. And he says, you need to be strong. You need to preach the word in and out of season. And so we as leaders need to be on our guard for good, clear teaching about the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Direction, doctrine, and then discipline. Discipline. This is uh, beautiful in, in that I think it goes back to uh, sort of Psalm 23. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was, was used to beat off um, you know, other things that could come in to, to kind of mess with the, the sheep. But then the staff was there to sometimes pull the stray sheep back, to sometimes actually call them back from where they were going. And any church that doesn't have any elders and leaders in the team who don't have a staff in their hand to go, hey, that relationship could really hurt you. Hey, I would say that that teaching is going to take you and the people around you down. Be careful. That would be a dangerous place to be. Now, we live in a community where we've always used this language of perspective before permission. We don't live in a permission-seeking model. I've been to churches where that does happen, where it's really about, you know what, uh, we need to ask for permission if we want to get married, if we want to do this, if we want to move country. We go, that's just not what we see in the scriptures. However, we would say that when it comes to good pastoral leadership, whether it's your life group leader or your elders, to from time to time go, I've got a big decision and I'd love your perspective. I'd love to get some guidance on big things going on in my life. So it's a, it's a perspective rather than permission and to really get some guidance from people who love and care for us. And like I said, the deacons really do take on the slices of the pie because the elders are kind of giving oversight to all of that. So what do we do? Well, how do we respond as a church, as a community to leadership? I think we do what Paul tells us to. We revere Jesus. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We don't revere one leader over another. We don't serve the leadership agenda if the leadership agenda isn't revering the agenda of Jesus. That's our call. That's the beautiful gift of this whole journey. 
and to know what we're about and to know where we're heading, hey, join us on the DNA course. I really would suggest that. Fill it out now as a commitment. It's one of those things that what's going to happen is you're going to miss it this year and you're going to have to wait six months and you'll miss out on an opportunity to really settle in to a deeper understanding of what it means to live in community and to enjoy the healthy biblical realities of, of really sinking your teeth in or, or, or getting your foundations deep. How's your reverence for Jesus? Because if it is high, it's good for all of us. Our call as a community is to revere Him. And so I'm going to call the band up, and what we're going to do as we respond is to remind ourselves that leadership is important, but it's as necessary as we are submitted to Christ. As we increasingly submit to Jesus, uh, the writer to the Hebrews he says this, he says, have confidence in your leaders, submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. To be honest, I can speak on behalf of our whole team and say our life is a joy. We do not feel like it's a burden to lead this beautiful community of people. Very rarely do we feel the need to pull out the shepherd's staff and yank people back or have to do any of that yucky work of discipline. It's a privilege. It's an amazingly high privilege. We feel the joy of it. And I think the, the call for us and the job for each of us is to simply go, how's my reverence for Christ? How's my apprenticeship going? How am I doing when it comes to simply not just attending but apprenticing, learning from and becoming like in verse 7 of Hebrews 13, he says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You don't need to have a title to have people imitating your faith. You simply need to keep apprenticing Jesus, revering him, and people will continue to imitate our faith. And I wonder what's possible in the next five years. If we each, just one life at a time, one friendship at a time, one day at a time, Continue to just reverence Jesus, to revere him with our lives, to keep seeing him as the king and getting in line with the beautiful vision that he's called us to. Nothing of our vision doesn't come straight from the scriptures. Let's stand. Jesus, thank you. Thanks for the beautiful joy of partnering with you. Jesus, if we've lacked trust or we just in a space of feeling a little cynical because of maybe past leadership pain. I pray that we would primarily just come freshly to you and remind ourselves that it's you who is the safest place and it's you who makes other people safe, trustworthy. So we as a community come under you and we ask you to test our hearts. We ask you to search us and know us, to see if there's any way within us that doesn't please you. We ask you to keep humbling us by your grace so that we're a community who can submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because more and more the people around us are more and more submitted to you. More and more we can trust each other because of our incredible sense of trust in you.
And Jesus, as we sing this song, I do pray that you would just, more than anything, guide us to revere you, to trust you. Maybe as we sing this, you just, you just want prayer for anything, potentially. Maybe you feel like, actually, I've just, I've got to trust again. That's my sense. Or you may be feeling like God freshly commissioning you. You just want to stand up again and be counted for. Take responsibility. Be a person of initiative. You're feeling like God's freshly got your number, that you're, you're called to not just attend, but apprentice Jesus and bless people. There's going to be a bunch of people up front who would love to pray with you. And maybe you just want to, maybe it's for something totally different. But this last song, we want to increasingly just make available to us to be able to minister to each other. And so we'll have people at the front who'd love to just pray with and connect with you and um, be available simply to meet with Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Receive our worship. We revere you. Let's sing.